Hey everybody, thank you for checking out the Broke Down Podcast. My name is Jonathan, I am your host, and this is episode number 125. I've got a great guest for you today and a lot to get to, so first let me remind you that the Broke Down Podcast is a founding community podcast with Osiris. Osiris Media are my good friends and they are making great things about the things that you love, so please head over to OsirisPod.com to learn more. Speaking of friends, my guest today is Daniel Bachman, a guitarist, composer, folklorist, and activist, and also a friend who's managed to avoid getting on the mic with me until now. I can't wait for you to hear our chat. He's got a new record out called When the Roses Come Again that is available from the legendary Three Lobed recordings. You can get it now at threelobed.bandcamp.com. Stick around for that conversation as well as some of Daniel's music. We also talk about another project of his. It's a compilation album, Stop MVP, artists from West Virginia, Virginia, and North Carolina against the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Daniel teamed up with another friend of the podcast and fellow Virginian Warren over at Warhen Records to bring together an immense collection of players for a very important cause. We got a good bit to say about that in the interview. There's also a track from that collection ahead. You can find that album at warheadrecords.bandcamp.com. And before we go into the chat, though, I want to share something else with you. Former Broke Down Pod guest and friend, Buck Curran, reached out to tell me about a project that you should hear about. He is currently safekeeping Robbie Basho's 12 string guitar. Do you know Robbie Basho? You should check him out. He is raising funds to have it restored. Uh, There's a piece about it in the current November-December issue of Acoustic Guitar Magazine, and the hope is that after restoration, uh, some recordings could be done with this guitar to celebrate its history. You can help by heading over to obsoleterecordings.bandcamp.com slash merch, where you find a few opportunities to chip in and help preserve this piece of history. As always, all of the links that I throw out in today's episode will appear in the show notes, which can be found at brokedownpodcast.blogspot.com. That one you should probably remember by now. Even I remember it, despite it being so long and whatever, and uh, spending years thinking about changing it and stuff. Uh, There you will also see the playlists for each episode, and you can search to find past episodes and all of that nonsense. Speaking of nonsense, it's the holiday season, and it's never too late to spring for a Broke Down Pod t-shirt via the merch link on the blog, or head over to my band camp and grip a CD or a record of my music for the discerning listener in your life, which might just be you. Uh, Those can be found at jmhart.bandcamp.com. And continuing the nonsense, don't forget you can find me on Instagram at BrokedownPod. Uh, I'm also on Mastodon and Blue Sky sometimes, but that's enough of that business for one episode. Let's check out my conversation with Daniel Bachman. Daniel, at last. This has been a long time coming. Thank you for uh, sitting down to chat with me. I'm excited. I'm excited for, well, to share your music with everybody. I know I've talked about it on the show uh, because I dig your records and that's what I talk about on here. And uh, But you know, to get into it and dig into it with you is it's a, it's a treat. So thank you. Well, no, thank you for having me too. It's really, it's a, it is a long time coming. So yeah, Sunday night, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Yeah, this is great. Um, I actually had a, um, 
it's been a weird for context for everybody else out there. It's been kind of a like a maybe it was going to rain, maybe it had just rained kind of day here in Virginia. And I drove out to my parents through the country and the fog and the whatnot and listened to your new record and uh, as well as the compilation, both of which we will talk about here. But the new record, it's just absolutely stunning. Uh, it's called When the Roses Come Again. And I've listened to it a few times, but I figured it really needed a like a road test. And uh, because, you know, for all of the negative things we could say about the American obsession with cars, driving to music is like the oh, one man. Yeah. shining star, right? It is. <laughs> and uh, it definitely passes the road test. This is quite a, I, I feel like you've really um, kind of brought together some of the things that you've been doing on the recent records with some of your older, you know, vibes and compositional compositional sounds and uh, like really kind of leveled up again here with this record. It's beautiful. And, uh, and congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really glad to have it out. It was, um, I spent a lot of the first part of the year working on it and now it's kind of just doing its thing. And I'm um, glad that people can connect, you know, kind of, connect with it emotionally and stuff and feel it like that. So that's cool to hear. Yeah. It, um, obviously, you know, we're both Virginia guys and kind of feels a little bit of the landscape and a little bit of the air around here for better or worse as the air has been better or worse. Um, yeah, I, I, I enjoy the bringing back the string band music into the sound, which you had, uh, you know, put aside a little bit recent records i enjoyed those records too let's be clear um but i, I liked it i liked circling back to that too um and combining it with your uh uh finely honed editing almost cut up sort of yeah, it's process, crazy right yeah it's crazy yeah that um yeah so i really wanted to make a string band record for like years and years. And I was like, Oh, I'll put all these tunes on there that I like and stuff and just do like straight, you know, um, kind of like covers of stuff. And, um, that just never really happened. Like, you know, like I kind of, the way that I make stuff, it kind of has to be the path of least resistance or like if I start feeling like I'm fighting it or like fighting the process, then I, I lose it. There's like energy and that motivation to work on stuff. So I kind of over the last few years doing stuff that really excites me. You know what I mean? Like um, working with new types of instruments, um, working with uh, different types of tunings that I'm kind of coming up with and stuff. And um, yeah, I just started. I think I'm losing you, Daniel. Is this is am I coming in pretty clear right now? You or? were you were chopping up there a little. I got a good bit of it up until you talked about like alternate instruments and tunings and stuff. It's been it's been kind of frustrating lately. Here, wait a second. Yeah. But yeah, so like yeah, I've been making music that like um kind of always feels like it's challenging myself a little bit. You know what I mean? Like I kind of have to feel like I'm always working towards news. Personally, be excited about it. So yeah, I've been making these records just um, um, different uh, 
I really lost you. Maybe we'll have to drive out to see Daniel sit on a porch, a pair of microphones. Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. <laughs> oh my God, Jonathan, this is insane. So you've just experienced what happens to the Wi-Fi here sometimes, but honestly, it's very rare that it drops this bad. So you're getting well, a taste of it. <laughs> but this is the home phone. Okay. Well, if you're good to go like this, so am I. Um, hey, I mean, if you don't mind a little different fidelity, I guess, going on. I mean, it's fine. Look, I started this okay. thing doing phoners with people, and I was on the phone, and they were on the phone, and I'm recording with weird apps that are probably illegal and stuff. And, you know, <laughs> well, so. Uh, Let me get my glass of water from downstairs now. Yeah, make yourself comfortable. All right. Yeah, so. Sorry about that. That sucks. That's uh, that's so that right. is that's we only got we got Wi-Fi about a year ago here, and it it wow. works really good. You know, well enough for Aldona to work from home. You know, most of the time. But um, yeah, occasionally, like the fog, like you were saying, you were driving today. You know, through the fog and stuff. It has been really thick today. We actually went outside and watched it roll yeah. in. That was pretty special. Yeah, it was beautiful. I was, I you know, I was going to my folks' house, and so it was out going up 17 and then uh, turning up uh, towards Catlett and cutting through over to Haymarket through the uh, through the slightly more wilds rather than out to Warrington. And fog was yeah, nice and thick along the Fauquier line. And, and then when I was coming back, it was just before sunset, uh, crossing the uh, Falmouth Bridge, the, r the river bottom, just up and down oh, wow. both directions, and the river was just peace soup it was it was amazing the road was clear everything up you know up on the the heights overlooking were clear but down in the river bottom it was just wild it was beautiful that's really cool yeah, we, yeah. You know, it's, i don't feel like we really get to see it that often like this um so yeah it's been an it's, it's been an unusual it. not our not a typical day around here but uh it's been nice yeah, I'd say so. but uh yeah, so, so where, where were we? You were talking to me a bit about, like, I, I brought up the new record and a bit of process, and you were talking to me about, um, I think I threw out the word cut-ups and string band music, and you were saying how you'd always wanted to do a string band record, but never really yeah. quite landed on it. Um, and uh, maybe, yeah, maybe you could uh, try to pick up roughly from there, and uh, we'll see what yeah, we can figure sure. Yeah, so <clears throat> I guess there's two parts of the answer to this is that there's the first thing is that I've been getting kind of deeper into family genealogy, you know, like when I, I moved home um, back to the Fredericksburg area in 2017, yeah, and, um, you know, started hanging around my parents' house and uh, reading about family genealogy more and stuff. My grandma, who raised us, was helped raise us, rather. She moved in when we were, um, you know, 10, 11, um, from, sold her house, moved in with us kind of thing. And um, she was from the Allegheny Mountains, and she was a huge music listener, but she was really, like, kind of ashamed of, like, mountain music. Like, I even back then, I kind of was, like, into, like, banjo sounds and stuff and she didn't like it 
she was really into opera. And I think that it was like because of, you know, her grew up just like totally, utterly poor, you know, and really pretty grim circumstances and left that section of the Allegheny Mountains like pretty much as soon as she could. And um, so I didn't really know that we had like a lot of like family history and music makers and stuff in our family. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, It wasn't really talked about. And then I came home and I started seeing all these photos like um, 20th century, you know, guys up in the woods like this. One of my uncles was a fiddler and, um, you know, started getting into the deeper history of it and stuff and found out that I was related to this. Like, I mean, I don't know how else to say it, but they were all blind. They were a blind family band. Um, called the Hostetler Family Band, and that was her last name. Amazing. But, uh, yeah, so I started reading about them, and, man, for years now, I've just been really interested in them, <clears throat> especially because they were, they were you know, record, they pre-recorded era, so this is Civil War era. Like, I think they were known from, like, 1862 to about the turn of the century. So, um, and they had really interesting, uh, you know, instrument. Uh, uh, you know, the instruments that they were using was kind of atypical for string band stuff. They had two fiddles, a, a, a cello, and a, um, a concertina accordion, like you'd think of, like kind of maritime music stuff. But wow. then that person, that person also played corn cobs, and we don't really know how those were played. But there is <laughs> a uh, there is a review of one of their concerts where the reviewer is just marveled by them and he just gave them a glowing review and he said you know for those who think that they know how the corn cobs may sound i ask you to come see these for another way you know it was like kind of one of those things <laughs> but we don't really know i think that she was playing them her name was Catherine. i think she was playing them kind of like the bones like kind of like as a rhythm kind of um instrument okay. um or maybe scraping them together to create rhythm sounds i don't know but um I was really into them forever and <clears throat> doing research on them and, um, you know, just kind of connecting with a different part of my family. And um, I, I, I've always been into this music, and it's just kind of funny that, you know, you're like, oh, you have these interests and stuff, and then you find out, you know, you have people that made those same sounds. So when I was putting the idea of this record together, I like knew I wanted to use all string band instruments and stuff. And, um, I kind of just hung a picture of them next to my workspace and, um, just kind of thought about them all the time, you know, um, kind of just not to be too far out, but just kind of thought about them, meditated about them, asked, you know, if they, you know, there's any influence of them still floating around that could help me with my music kind of thing. And, um, yeah, it was a really kind of fun way of participating with, like, family members that are way long dead and I'll never meet them and stuff. But it did kind of feel like <laughs> it did kind of feel like we were collaborating on it a little bit, you know, in just the least, uh, I don't know how to even put it. A little, yeah, little you know spiritual I mean. collaboration, a little channel. Yeah, I mean, it, it just, not, you know, just even just thinking about these people and just kind right. of sitting and, you know... Um, thinking about what their life was like, because I, I have spent a little bit of time in that area when I was growing up, and I know what it looks like, and, you know, what it, you know, a little bit about my grandma's uh, side of the family there. So, 
yeah, so I kind of went into it with that kind of um, spirit, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, but there's a lot of different stuff that I kind of used to compile. This is, it's, the whole record is really collage I mean, even like conceptually, it is like just a complete hodgepodge of all this stuff. Like the track titles, I know there's been a little confusion about that, but because it is a song that's been um, When the Roses Come Again and different variations on that name, you know, people, a lot of people have played that and stuff, but I came across the poem, so I guess I should call it a song poem maybe, in the UVA archives a couple years ago, and it was from a um, miscellaneous 19th century folklore material from a um, folklorist that was from the Salem area who donated their materials, and it was by a it just says Emma, 1887, April 8th, 1887. And it had a, a very early handwritten version of When the Roses Come Again and all the, li- the lyrical lines that follow it. And that, so I knew I wanted to, you know, make a record that had, um, that you could read the, 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 the lyrics as a poem, you know, because I love the, the cadence and the, the way that, that, reads you know and that was a main inspiration and then i kind of just tied it in with the the family genealogy stuff with the string band the host Hitler string band musicians nice you know i'm looking at the album tracks here and i don't think i ever read them straight through the titles yeah. to put that together yeah and that's that's was my that was my like kind of first idea because I really, really love the way that that um, I did have to chop it up a little bit. So, like, if you look at the, you know, the um, original source material I took from it, it's a little bit different. But, um, but yeah, no, that was that's how um, I at least like to read them. Yeah, and it, it is that's how the song goes too, if you listen to it. But um, yeah, so that was kind of how I came into this, and <clears throat> um, I really just. I don't even know, man. I, I I had some ideas of like the the kinds of sounds that I wanted to make on there. Like I knew I wanted fretless banjo, and um, uh, some uh, that your listeners and your, you might be uh, where Joe DeCosimo's music. Um, he was really encouraging, you know, me to like say I was like, hey, I want fretless banjo. And he's like, I just pull the frets. It's easy. I did it when I was like a teenager, and it sounds awesome. <laughs> And so I did it, and it was super easy, <laughs> and it does sound awesome. Nice. And um, so, like, that was, you know, one of the things that I was like, oh, man, I love this sound, and use that. And I have always wanted to build my own mouth bow, and I've tried to build three, and only one of them has survived, and that's the one that's on this record. The other two were kind of like failed attempts. Um, at, they both broke. I try again, um, right? Yeah, the tension of it, you know what I mean? Um is you got to get that the width of the wood just right because if it's too thin, it'll break under the weight of the string. But um, but yeah, so I knew I, I wanted to have those sounds, and um, that was really about it. I mean, I just took a bunch of stuff up to this um, house, this old cabin that I had helped restore a couple years ago. That is now kind of like a family use or like a rental kind of thing. I'm not sure if it's you know publicly but i know people use it and um i just stayed up there for a week and just played as much as i could and just like went on hikes and 
did yoga and, you know, like just played on all the energy that I had. And then um, just kind of came home and chopped it all up. for. And, it, and so that was about eight days that I got all the source material, mo- most of the source material. And then um, I uh, spent three months doing the whole record. So it took me about a month and a half to do each. But, um, which is uh, pretty fast for me. I like to I like to work slow. I'd be releasing a lot more music if I wasn't kind of like so fixated on like little details. I get really hung. Ah, you know, get hung up on them, but the result kind of speaks for itself. I think. Well, thanks. There's something to be said for taking your time. I know it drives, you know, the people around me at times kind of crazy hearing some of these sections of these records, you know, be uh, played over and over again. But yeah, it does. It takes a while to kind of, you know, find your, like, I don't know. I don't want to sound like, you know, pretentious or too conceptual or anything, but like the way I really feel about this these days is like, is like working like, a, it's like three dimensional. Like I have worked as with um, wood at several times in my life. I used to work in manufacturing when I lived in Philadelphia in a furniture, you know, manufacturing. And then, um, done some carpentry work and some other work like that. So, like, it's really, like, I feel like I have these, like, pieces of songs and sounds and stuff, and then I just kind of chisel away at it, (laughs) you know, and just kind of chip, 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 until it is, like, the sound that I didn't even know I was looking for. You know what I mean? It's just, like, that feeling when you're like, oh, that's the the interval, you know, or that's the, the speed or whatever, you know. But, um, yeah, it's been fun. It's like, for real, it's been a fun way to kind of break out of the really structured music-making you know, styles that I've done before in my life. It, honestly, it feels freeing in a lot, a lot of ways that you don't have to worry about. Well, that, so that's that's something I wanted to touch on because, um, I, you know, I, maybe you don't know, but I have all of your records, Daniel. Like, I know you personally know and we've hung out and... So I'm not sure I've ever told you that because I didn't want it to be like weird, but like, dude, I got oh, all no, your records. Um, <laughs> well, that's cool, man. <laughs> and, and, and I had a number of them before we met. Um, and most of the ones that were out already before we met. Um, and, uh, and so I followed for a while what you do. And you've, for anybody who's maybe just picking up this record, as their first their intro they're they might not have any idea of your background as a compositional player or um someone who could you know easily be noted in the same kind of categories as the likes of Fahey or Jack Rose or what have you because you you know you were working very much in similar spaces um, totally and what do I want to ask you here? Do I want to ask you, um, why did you leave that behind? Or do I want to ask you <laughs> like, I, cause I don't really want to ask you that question. I want to, I, I want you to, to tell me that, but I want you, I want to understand like, like it's been a journey. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Right. Uh, so maybe we should go back to like when you started playing. Um, I know that there was music in your house. I know your dad is a, musician and a singer um when did you start playing music yeah so i'll give you like the real the real quick and dirty of the pre-guitar stuff so like it was i was really into like 
I've always really, like, you're right. I mean, my family, I come from a family of musicians. My grandpa was a professional musician too. He was a oh, cool. um, big band guy for a, a number of years of his life and then became a salesman later in life and other stuff. But like, um, he was a really fine um, horn player. And so it's always been important, you know, it was always part of, so I mean, when I was like in elementary school, I started getting into stuff, you know, like, um, but I didn't really have the, I'm kind of a late bloomer with a lot of stuff. Like I didn't do well in school and, you know, kind of like, um, I had to find my own way with a lot of stuff. And when I was in, I mean, I played bass. I, I, I mean, I can get really into it if you want me to. I was a bass player. I played upright bass. I wanted to go to VCU and be in their jazz program. That was what I was really into. Like, my first musical mind blowers were like, you know, like Charles Mingus and stuff. I was like, whoa, stuff is insane, you know. And then, um, and I was like in jazz bands and played in church bands. And I played in some, I got to play in some gospel bands actually, too, which was very cool. A friend of mine named Mickey from the North Stafford Widewater area had me playing in some gospel bands filling in for people every once in a while. So, it was, you know, I did that a lot. I played horn, too. But um, it was really, like, skate culture that, like, blew my mind and kind of told, kind of showed me, like, oh, like, you know, there's you, there's a lot of other stuff out there. And um, I was fortunate enough to work for um, a former Fredericksburg area resident, Brent Eyestone, who used to run Magic Bullet Records out of his house, um, very close to my parents' house. And I could walk there from my parents' house. Nice. And it was like kind of like a skate punk. Um, uh, he did some noise. He did some uh, post-rock era stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, and uh, he would give me a little bit of money or take me to the taco, you know, soup and taco and stuff and give me all these records and stuff. Um, and that was really like when I found out like, oh, wow, there's like more than like ACDC and Funkadelic, you know what I mean? Cause like, <laughs> that was my shit. I was like super into ACDC and Black Sabbath, but I love Bootsy Collins and, you know, Parliament Funkadelic is, you know, all that stuff. And so it's good groundwork material, but it's nice oh, to dude, like, find I mean, out there's more. Yeah, totally, yeah, totally. But I was like, totally, you know, just like. Loving, you know, listen. I mean, I was into John Coltrane stuff. We would play that in the church jazz band, do stuff like that and stuff. So that was cool. St. George's Jazz Band, give a shout out to them. And he <laughs> played with them forever, years. And, um, but uh, yeah, man, I mean, I worked for Brent and he just like, I mean, it was like that era when like noise was like the new, like, kind of like, I don't even, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like a, just a wild cultural moment with all these tape labels and like, you know, gigs and stuff. And this is probably 2006 through seven or in eight, you know? Okay. And, um, I remember like, he gave me like Wolf, this Wolf Eyes record that like, it, I mean, I, it blew my mind. It, I remember it, like I was hanging out with my friends and we were like driving the back roads around Fredericksburg and stuff. And like, we were like, crying my other friend was like you know like ah you know we were like this is the best music i've ever heard you know and so i kind of like was into all that stuff and um but at the same time like always into like 
folk music, old time, I was just learning like what old time music was and stuff. Like there was a difference between bluegrass and that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know, Fredericksburg had good players, dude. Like they, it, I mean, you could go, I saw like, you know, people playing good music every once in a while and stuff. And then when I was a teenager, we could go to the rec center and you could smoke cigarettes in there and you could go see, I remember there was a, um, Forget his last name, but there was a um, fiddle player from Caroline County, um, Jimmy Delosier. That was his name, um, and he, uh, him, and his band would play, um, and me and my friends would go. You know, we couldn't drink beer, but we could smoke cigarettes and eat chili dogs and stuff. You know, and um, so that stuff was always interested. I was always interested in that stuff, and then. I found out about like pelt and that stuff. And that was when I was like, whoa, like you can do into like the Wolf Eyes experimental stuff and the like finger picked banjo stuff. Like that's what? You know what I mean? And then, um, and then after that, I found out about Jack Rose. And um, around that, I think it was at the same event that I was at was when I found it. It was like I found out about. Jack's playing and John Fahey's playing. It was like on the same mix CD. Oh, wow. This gig I played. This I played a house show in Philadelphia in 2006, I think, or 2007. And it was I was like, "What is this music? It's awesome!" You know. And um, went to a record store the next day and bought a bunch of <laughs> CDs, you know, in Philly, and then came home. And that was kind of the beginning of the getting into the guitar stuff. And because uh, how. Um, can I, can I interject a, a quick question? So oh, yeah. how long was it like you, you discovered Jack and John Fahey at the same time you were in Philly at the time. And yeah. I was just in Philly overnight. I was just playing. Okay. Oh, okay. So we just but went like, up there. To, yeah. How, how long did it take you to figure out that Jack was from Fredericksburg? Uh, actually a little while. I mean, yeah. it, well, the dude that invited me to play in Philly was from Fredericksburg, Shane Huffman, and he used to work at Orbitz and, okay. you know, knew Jack. And he, so Jack was 10 years older than him, and then he was 10 years older than me. And they, uh, he used to work at Blue Dog and, you know, the record store downtown and stuff. And oh, yeah. And Blue Dog is where to... I bought my first Pelt record before oh, dude, I knew I mean, who Jack Rose was. Dude, I mean, the Blue Dog was... <laughs> I mean, it was life changing for me. Yeah. I mean, I and my mom had an, my mom was a social worker. She had her office right downtown, a block away from there. So, like after oh, nice. school and stuff, you could go walk there. We, you know, like I was saying, you could go to the rec center or Sammy T's or whatever. Yeah, we used to live on Amelia Street, uh, and this is way inside baseball for everybody out there listening. But you know, it's like so. I was literally just up the hill from there yeah. and I would walk down there when we moved to town that's where we lived and I would walk down there I was totally. like, this is the greatest I have a record store walking distance from my house and it's a good and one it was, the, it was the oh it was an awesome record store and everybody that I was in high you know friends that like music and stuff whether it was like metal or you know like Jimi Hendrix or whatever like everybody was like oh I'm gonna work at the Blue Dog <laughs> but like I mean that stuff was like really important to me and I knew some of those guys. That's how I knew Shane Huffman. And he worked at Sammy T's too. And so did Jack. And so did I. I worked at Sammy's for three or four years. And we all did our time there. And um, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that my when I found out about Jack is my mom's 
social work, her like being a, a therapist, her office was above Apple Music, which was oh, wow. a store that was like owned by Jack's like former bandmate, and they had Jack Rose CDs in there. And so, like, I mean, my friends worked there. My dad was buddies with all those guys. I mean, it was above my mom's office, so I could go hang out there, you know. And, I mean, it was below her office, rather. And they had his CDs. And they had the CD that was, like, opium music and two originals. And it was those two LPs as a CD. And I bought it. It was, like, 10 bucks. And that was when I was like, whoa, he's from here and then like carl the guy that owned it was like he was like yeah he's like my friend whatever you know and it's like and then i worked at sammy t's and i'd be like wow he worked here you know and they'd be like yeah like whatever you know nobody really <laughs> talked about it like um but i got really into it and you know his mom was um still uh uh, running her Colonial Art and Frame, which was right downtown. I used to work right next to that at the Old Town Wine and Cheese Deli when I was working there for a while. And um, nice. So, you know, I mean, it was just really like one of these things where it was like, whoa. Um, and it was him and then Hush Arbors, that um, band that has um, been uh, releasing music for a really long time. They were the two Virginia people that I was like, whoa, like you can be from here and like make wild psychedelic music, you know, or you can, you know, play guitar like that and stuff. And um, I was really inspired by those people because there, there wasn't a lot of, um, there wasn't Richmond and DC had a really good scene and Harrisonburg, you know, has always been doing his thing. And, you know, every actually Roanoke was doing its thing back then too. But like, I mean, it was, um, when you're young, young enough yeah, you don't know how to, that yeah, seems you don't know. so far away particularly 20 some years ago it was totally not we weren't as connected like now we're too connected we weren't as connected then i think yeah uh, it was like barely myspace i don't even know if i was using myspace when i started getting into this stuff and then myspace came and you could actually myspace was like you know it was pretty great for booking tours and you know connecting with people and stuff but yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was a really interesting way to find my way to that person's music. I love, I still really love Jack Rhodes' music. I still, every time I hear it, it's, you know, still new. And um, just thinking about him playing around town and, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it just makes me laugh. It's Fredericksburg music, man. Like, he really, <laughs> it so is. Let's tie this back a little bit. So where along in there do you like pick up the, the guitar and start oh, yeah. making the kind of music that we hear oh. on your earliest recordings as I guess Sacred Harp is some of your earliest. Yeah. Yeah. I had a bunch of different like names and stuff that I was just like do like a single cassette under this thing, different thing with that thing. And then I settled on the Sacred Harp thing. I didn't even really know what Sacred, I've, kind of feel silly for doing that because I didn't really even know. Um, yeah, that's the whole thing, what isn't that, it, Sacred Heart? Yeah, I mean, just, it was, I was in the in my infancy of, like, learning what kind of, like, American music and learning about folklore and stuff was back then when I was, like, a teenager. My sister, I've got to give a huge shout-out to her, too, because she was also really super into this stuff, but um, liked different stuff than I did, so we could kind of, you know 
share music and share notes and stuff. While you, while you uh, bring up Sarah, let's go ahead and shout her out fully and, you know, compliment her on her beautiful artwork for the yeah. cover of the new record. And she's it's done amazing. some of the other stuff. She also did the cover of the MVP uh, co- compilation. We'll talk about that later in a little bit. And, uh, and she's, she's awesome. So, um, yeah. And I mean, friend, so. She, yeah, she's really just making incredible stuff these days. It's really so cool. She to really see. is. But yeah, Sorry, I don't even know, man. No, I mean, it's <laughs> totally fine. It's, it's like <laughs> totally cool. We could talk about all that later too. But I mean, again, I guess, you know, I had a really supportive family, you know, like my whole, like my mom paints and makes a lot of different craft. You know, she's always got a different kind of thing that she's into. My dad's been playing music for playing guitar for like 60 years, probably, or close to it, if not more. And um, so, you know, my family was really supportive. But I got I had a neighbor named Ryan Hatfield. He his family were so for people that don't know, the Fredericksburg area is like a hub for like a lot of different military installations that are like in this region. And so my friend's dad, like they were from Mingo County, West Virginia. They were Hatfields um, from Mingo County and they moved to the Fredericksburg area because his dad was like this brilliant engineer and he was working at the Naval Research Center Dahlgren, you know, where they, all sorts of stuff, but they were our neighbors and they were friends. And, um, Brian had a banjo. It was like a harmony banjo. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Super high, super high action. Like it was like left in the trunk of a car for a while or like, you know, really not taken care of, but he sold it to me for $50. And I was like, Oh, so cool. It was like the first (laughs) instrument I ever bought really. And, um, I kind of had learned how to pick on like a um on a uke that I had but um the banjo was like way more, you know, what I was into and I just learned like this is before I got into Jack Rose and stuff. So I was like I was like watching Roscoe Holcomb videos and stuff and like learning about open nice. G tuning and then like and then just trying to teach myself how to pick on a five-string banjo and then I learned about, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. I learned about Jack Rose and then John Fahey, like pretty much immediately at the same time and learned that they were playing in open tunings. And I was like, what? Like, you could do this with a guitar? Of these things. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was like the, the pelt, like the learning that you could combine traditional music and noise and stuff. I was like, whoa, you can do that. Like you can tune to open tunings and, and then immediately found out that like there's even more like mathematical combinations of what you can do because you have one extra string. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And so I was like, whoa, this is, you know, and that was really what kind of got me started. So like the first, when I first started playing the guitar, I tuned it like a banjo and I tuned the bottom D string, which I keep as a D, but a lot of people play as an E string. I had that as G. So I would play an open G tuning and have that lowest string as a double G. You know what I mean? Nice. So, because I was used to that drone string on the banjo. And um, then I kind of figured out how to play better, you know, and that, like, you can play an open D. And I played an open D for, like, a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And, you know, and it's just kind of 
this kind of been this thing. I, I mean, I didn't want to be a guitar player. I tried bass first, and I said, I, like I said, I played banjo because my dad was a guitar player, you know. Um, but I um, just it happened, and I've been doing it for <laughs> for a little while now. Yeah, yeah, a little while now. So um, along the way, um, I would say you became a good bit of a composer. Um, you're like you ha you put out a number of records, and I'm gonna hand wave only because there's a lot of records. Um, I know because they take up inches of space on my shelves. Um, but but um, I feel like uh, you know, you have your early modes, which are a little noisish, like your gray, black, green. You know, first couple records, and then you start composing, and this stuff all kind of fits very neatly towards the your influences i feel like there's somewhere along the way in the maybe the mid teens somewhere and i'm not looking at years as i have these album titles in front of me um you put out river and and i'm jumping over a number of records just for everybody's reference but uh, I, I feel like when you put out river and then the self-titled record that followed and the morning star you really like i felt like you've kind of found a voice compositionally that seemed like Daniel Bachman's voice. Did yeah. you, is that what prompted you to self-title a record? Is that like, were you thinking in those lines? <laughs> Have you ever considered <laughs> to that? To be honest, not at all. But I mean, I, <laughs> I did the self-title. I'll be honest about that. I had not done one. And I will, I wanted to do a self-titled one. And that was about the depths of that decision. Fair enough. Process. But, but I did, I mean, I was aware that I was like playing a lot like other people. And I had this, I mean, it was a period of self-discovery and playing and stuff that kind of like led me to kind of make a different, sound but i did have a moment where i was playing in boston at the middle east um and uh glenn jones the guitar player was there and we were talking after my set and stuff and he was like oh you're sounding great you're sounding tight you know i was on the road a lot at that point i was doing 200 plus nights a year dude for wow. years on end i did like i probably did 200 nights a year for four years maybe even five and then I started to taper off a little bit, but, um, but I was really t a tight player for a while and, um, <laughs> not as tight as I used to be right now. I'm a little rusty, but, um, but Glenn was like, oh, you're sounding great, you know, but like, what are you, when are you going to explore your own emotions a little bit? You know, it's like, I hear a lot of this person in your plane, or I hear a lot of this other person in your plane. Right. And at first I was kind of like, you know, what the hell, you know, what, that's right. not a compliment after you played a good set. I thought I played well. And so then I started thinking about what he was saying and I was like, oh, well, you know, he's right. Like I, I do have my own things to say, you know, just like we all do. And, um, that was when I kind of, um, consciously started, um, you know, the, the the ways that I had played that came naturally to me, 
that I had kind of suppressed a little bit because I was like, oh, you got to sound like Jack or you got to sound like John Fahey or like whatever. If you're going to play this song, it's got to be by the books. I, I kind of realized that, like, you don't have to do that, you know, that um, you don't have to um, base so much of your um, physical identity on other people's experience. Right. Well, so I mean, that, you, when you're in school, you you copy out of the book. But totally. at some point, you got to write your own. And so, I, I mean, you're playing great, great stuff, and you were composing, and you were composing good material, and even great yeah, material. Yeah, I'm still proud of the River record. I think it's, I listened to it like a couple years ago, and I was like, oh, it's still good. You know? I think that's the point where I really start to hear your voice more. Uh, like, I, I, I could say Orange County Serenade is like, it's all really good. And it's just a year before beautiful cover, by the way. And, uh, but then, but it's, it's really the stuff like, actually it just happens that it's all three lobed stuff is really where it feels like you're growing more into your, maybe it's not growing. Maybe it's your consciously allowing your own voice to come through. Yeah, I mean, well, I'll be honest with you. I have had, I had a really, really bad time in high school. I'm a high school dropout. I um, went to Stafford High School. For anybody who knows what that place was like before they tore down the old one, it was a nightmare place. It was really not a conducive to like a healthy learning or nurturing environment. Well, I'll get into. I won't get into it. But I went to, I ended up leaving that school and going to another school and because they had a creative writing program. And that's like where my interests like always were, where like I always like was like, I want to, you know, but I, I ended up going to this other high school that had this creative writing program and like the teacher like would make fun of me in front of the whole class. And like, um, it was really a negative traumatic experience for me because I, that was like my own voice. <laughs> you know what wow. I mean? I was like, I was like, Oh, like here's, here's my writing and stuff. And the, this dude, I mean, I won't call him out, but he still lives around town and I see him. Um, uh, you know, he, he would like belittle me in front of the whole class. And then I just completely turned off. I was just getting, right. you know, really, I, I just dropped out. And then I asked my parents if I could drop out and they said, sure. And I did it. And, um, he, you know, it was really negative. Even when I left that class, he was like, you're never, like, you're lazy. This is why you're, dro you're dropping out, because you're lazy, you know? And so I feel like I had, like, I had other experiences like that, too. But, um, though I did have a few good ex experiences in community college for the year that I went there, I did have some good instructors, positive experiences in education. But I feel like I, like, kind of had that, anxiety you know with music making even up until re more recently you know where i was like oh god like i'm gonna be shamed or something you know what i mean yeah and um it's taken me a lot of um unpacking a lot of that time and understanding a little bit deeper as an older person to get past that but i do think that that's kind of why it was another one of these things where I, was, I, I, I kind of was just like, nope, okay, I, I can have a little bit of confidence. You know, I do have my own things to say. Clearly. But, you know, um, but make, making music's vulnerable. You know this, other people what? listening to this know that. I mean, it's a vulnerable thing. <laughs> it's scary, you know. Um, 
at times. It can be really exhilarating and freeing at times too. But um, yeah, I, I don't mean, know. Any any form of communication where you expose yourself is uh, uh, is is inherently risky, emotionally risky, um, yeah. but it can really pay off. At least you know it certainly is paying off. The listener, your catalog has continued to grow, um, and so I want to come ahead to like Axican because I feel like that one is like a big leap forward or sideways or in some direction from what you had done before. Um, it's a hell of a record. Um, and could you, and because we haven't had this chance to talk about this record or any of this stuff in, in the past, I'd like, love for you to tell us a little bit about that record, uh, which came out in 2021 and you know, it's, sonically quite different to your earlier stuff and i feel like you're you're you know planting another flag in the ground and not just expressing your own voice but you're really talking about something i guess for we and we don't have to get too into this too but another major interest in my life and i'm not just talking about like as an adult person like this is i was a freaky weird little kid that was really into history right I grew up, my parents' house is on the former fairy farm plantation. It was subdivided in the 1940s and then again in the 50s and 60s. And it so it was plantation land for the Washington family. It's And it is also the Fredericksburg Battlefield. So we I grew up, like you know, I grew up doing, like, archaeological digs in our backyard and stuff, um, going to all these historic sites and stuff, and I was really into it. And I didn't, I don't know how else to say this, and other people that are listening, you might be able to relate to this as well, but I didn't realize that a lot of the um, historic narratives that were being presented to me as a child were from a uh, a neo-Confederate uh, kind of a voice, really. I mean, that's really what a lot of it was. I mean... It was pretty conservative here in the 90s. Like, if you went to a school field trip to a former plantation house, like, they were still saying servant. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's the kind of language that they were using in these spaces. So beginning in about 2013, I started having, you know, these fissures in my understanding of what this place is. And um, by the time that we hit, you know... Um, 2020, I had really, you know, lived a number of different places all around the state, um, had uh, spent some time in some archives, you know, really done a lot of self-education because I've never, again, I don't have any higher education. I've had to do a lot of this stuff on my own. And um, so that's a main interest for me. It's a huge part of my life still. I love research and I love writing about this stuff and learning as much as I can. Um, and I really wanted a way to combine that with a lot of the um, music that I'm interested in making, especially using like uh, intentional field recordings. Like that's like the, and I guess I'll explain, I, I don't want to get too like heady or, 
feel like I'm getting like lost here or anything. But there's no way to get too heady on the Broke Down Podcast, <laughs> Daniel. We 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 want all it right. all. We'll get, just go deep as you feel, and but, it's totally fine. Well, thanks for the invitation to uh, to go there. I mean, it. What I was interested in doing was like recording um, different historical spaces and then matching it with, um, I mean, with sounds and fragments of melodies or other things, you know, that, um, that resonate with me personally in those spaces. So my own memories of those spaces and also what the historic realities of those places were. So, um, like for instance, um, one of the recordings on there is a, um, is, uh, some radio signals of a um, a church, you know, service is some uh, AM radio pastor, you know, um, del- you know, delivering his sermon, and underneath it are these like very low frequency hums and jumps and all these noises and stuff. That is literally what was coming out of my radio speakers in the Southampton County area on the day that I was going down to record um, environmental sounds at the Nat Turner sites, right? So that was like, so I went down there with the intention, I went down there a couple times, um, some different environmental recordings down there, but that was one of the things that I sourced from the environment. And it is not only, you know, I mean, it's, the, the uh, electronic phenomenon that was coming out of the radio was really what I was capturing more that, so than the um, what the pastor was, you know, his sermon. What he was stuff. on about. But, but I mean, that's one example. It, the record starts and um, the uh, site where Pocahontas was rated for a copper kettle. Essentially, I mean, there were a couple other things in the deal um, with this. Uh, Padawomac chief named um, Gaffazal. Um, there's a, a he has several names, but that's one that I you know used. Tonight. But um, that, those are environmental recordings from that you know uh, marsh where that's where uh, the English. I mean, they essentially had a deal with this Indian nation that they would capture Pocahontas and that they would get this copper kettle and a number of other items. Um, in return. And so, like, I chose all these different spots. I mean, I could go on and on. There's a lot. Um, right. And, so, but um, essentially, you're attempting to connect to more of the real narratives. Of... Yeah, and, and, and what, the, what has been produced in the wake of all of those violent centuries, where we're at now, which is right you know, complete environmental degradation, um, climate breakdown, um, and unchecked <laughs> extractive capitalist, you know, uh, methods on, on the land. So this is a theme that I'm really into. I'm still exploring it. I'm, you know, I'm not a scholar, you know, don't have any degrees, but I am interested in researching this stuff and learning about it. And what I understand this place to be is the kind of birthplace um, 
for a lot of these uh, extractive, extractive capitalist methods. So you have Virginia as the as Jamestown, which was the first you know permanent English colony here, and where they monocrop tobacco till you know when we just completely destroyed the soil. We displaced. I mean, there were bounties on the Indian nations here. Um, there, uh, I mean, it was then you know, when you couldn't forcibly enslave the Indian nations, they started bringing um, West African people over forcibly. You know, yeah. and so this is the the root of all of that stuff that we exported from Virginia around the whole country. I mean, it, it's its fingers go to Hawaii to Guam, you know, to Puerto Rico, to, you know, I mean, to our involvement in funding and giving weapons to the IDF right now. I mean, it's the same uh, mechanisms, you know, throughout time. And um, I was really trying to illustrate that. And the most obvious way that we can see it through time is in climate breakdown. And I'm very interested in climate science and you know well, I'm kind that of takes us to the next bit. record right um, <laughs> well, does, behind. But, yes and and that is you know that's a portrayal of where we currently sit which is a destabilized you know um, climate and increasingly you know uh, increasing weather events in different severity and uh, an anomaly or whatever, you know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I'm going to these places like in Ahakan, the really long track, um, uh, Blue Ocean Zero, that is on Chincoteague Island, um, you know, right uh, ground zero for sea level rise. Um, oh, yeah. I love it up there. We I go there a lot. Oh man, I I do too. We we went for an anniversary um, of ours uh, in like 2019, I think, and it's just amazing. Uh, anyone who's listening, get out there while you can, because it, unfortunately, we're going to lose a lot of that part of the the coast, you know, in the years ahead. But um, but yeah, that's all I'm trying to do. I mean, it's I'm not the only person out there saying, you know, that there's a direct line of, you know, colonialism and extractive capitalism through, you know, this whole uh, thing that we got going on in North America. Um, but I am, you know, interested in using field recordings and audio anomaly. Like a lot of the sounds that you hear on these records are like things that I just happened to um, capture. And they're so poignant that like they almost speak for themselves. Like there is a, uh, I forget, the, actually, I'm really bad with some of these records. I don't even remember the track titles for some of my songs. But um, one of them is, uh, in the Ahakan record, is a more radio kind of, you know, uh, mixed shortwave and AM stuff. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning of that, you can hear this thing that sounds like it's almost like an animal, like, you know, uh, making this, like, throat guttural sound. And that is a dead tree at this very large rock formation um, along the Blue Ridge um, Parkway that nobody knows what it is. It's obvious that it's not natural. It's obvious that it was a, you know, a Virginia Indian site at some point. But we, 
we went and sat there for about an hour in silence and just recorded. And while we were there, this tree was just booming. I mean, it was just playing back and forth, and you could hear the wood grain moaning. So when I got home, I slowed it down about 24 times. Ah. And that's where you get this, just this, like, it's it's like a moan, you know. Uh, awesome. And so that's where a lot of these sounds, I mean, you could go through the tracks. I could be like, oh, yeah, that sounds, yeah. that sounds. Well, we but, w- but, but there's hundreds of them, and that's kind of like how I'm doing it. And um, But, yeah, I and, use that same technique with the um, Almanac record, too. And that record, um, there's not a lot of instruments on there, uh, which... I think for anybody who maybe listened to River, for example, just throwing one out and then jumped ahead, uh, might be a little uh, shocked. But there's certainly a, uh, a hell of a story in there, um, which I think is uh, it's it's as compelling as a guitar solo, um, <laughs> maybe more so. It's certainly uh, worthy of our attention. Um, so. Uh, love it, yeah, but I, I I will say I I really love that you've um, found a way to incorporate these techniques with the string band instruments on the new record. Yeah, and it's it's I mean me too. I'm really it's it was it was a fun it was fun to put together to be honest, and that was one of the reasons why I really wanted to make this record kind of like the way I, I I just wanted to make music that sounds the way I wanted to, but, you know, just kind of keep pushing it, you know, the way that I have been um, personally, you know, with my editing styles and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I've really been kind of working. I've even got another record in mind that I want to make that I'm just very starting to kind of get the ideas from, or that is just going to be one good, like, how can I take the, techniques of editing and stuff that I have now and just apply it to just one guitar. Like, how can I make a compelling guitar record, you know, out of these um, techniques and stuff? So that's, that is something I'm really interested in doing right now, too. Um, oh, shit, I can't wait for that. Back to, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to um, start working on it, to be honest, but I need to, I really need to pace myself. I can work, um, I'm, I have a really... Um, I work really hard and I um, don't take a lot of time off. And so uh, I've really got to, in order to, like I was saying earlier, like in order to feel like good about making this stuff and feel happy about it and feel joyful in making music, I have to, I can't overload it because that's, I got into that trap on the road and it really killed it for me for a couple of years. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I can remember you talking about just not wanting to. I, I, I actually think you once said when we were having a beer uh, that you were just not really interested in making music. Yeah, uh, I definitely felt that way for a while, yeah. and it was just. But I mean, it's hard, man. It's like I was saying, I was doing two hundred nights a year. Yeah, that's and hard. You're work. doing that. You're doing it all by yourself. I mean, I drove, I cannot tell you how many times I drove between Kansas City and Chicago on about four hours of sleep, you know, skipping meals, just getting to the sound check, you know, or similar time, you know, I mean, it was, I did it, I just did it all the time. And it was, it was a grind. And, um, 
like now I make a little bit less money because I'm not doing the tour stuff because that's one of the only ways you can make income as an artist right now is touring. But I do have like peace of mind and we've kind of adjusted like we live in a cheap rural area and like we grow a lot of vegetables and stuff. So, you know, I and I'm not the biggest one, dude, for real. And other people might be able to relate to this is that I burned through seven or eight vehicles in about six or seven years. You know what I mean? Oof. Like, so whenever you get a little pay bump, like let's say you get a good gig or something, you got to put 500,000 bucks in your car or you got to get a new $3,000 car. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> wait, and I was wait. Just so you're telling me you didn't get rich off of that touring? No, I'm kidding. Um, no, I mean, yeah, and I, I'll, I'll be totally just, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not prying. Um, Oh, Daniel, no, I'll I just totally I'm making honest. the joke because I think my listeners know we've we've kind of touched <laughs> on this with uh, a few of the other guests. You know, the reality <laughs> of it is it's uh, it's well, it's tough, man. It's tough. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't, I don't think anybody anybody I'm talking to is really doing it because they're getting they're getting wealthy. You're doing it because you kind of got to. <laughs> You know, yeah, you, I know. I, I, right? I definitely feel that. I definitely feel that. And I mean, I'm I'm really not like I feel very grateful. I saw a lot of the world. I got to see. I got to have some really fun experiences traveling and stuff. But um, but yeah, I don't know. Just different phases in life. I think. I mean, it's it's what it is. But it is. It's. I am thoroughly enjoying. Um, you know, like not being. Um, on the road all the time. My, my relationships have improved. Um, have a healthier lifestyle. Yeah. Well now, really? I mean, you're, you're still putting records out at an, a very reasonable pace. And, you know, once the garden's put to bed for the winter, maybe it'll be time to look at that guitar record. And Oh um, man, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm working <laughs> on another thing right now, actually too, for this um, long form editions. They do like the long, um, oh, I'm I'm familiar. That's yeah. That's so I'm exciting. doing one for them right now. That is all based on the wildfire that just happened here. So um, uh, that's I'm working on that every day right now. It's really fun. It's like so. It's going to be 25 minutes for the 25 days that it burned, and then I kind of have like conceptually mapped it out for like it'll follow the different peaks and valleys that the fire took and stuff, and use a lot of environmental recordings for that, but. Yeah, so I'm I'm really always kind of working on stuff, you know. I don't always have like maybe at least two projects going on at a time. Um, well, it's very relatable. I'm I always have a few things going, <laughs> and uh, totally. I, I want to talk about another project before we, because uh, I know I've taken up a lot of your time here today. Oh no, I mean, but... hey, uh, thank you for your time for listening to me blab on about this stuff. Oh, I'm loving it. Um, you were, uh, I think, you were instrumental in 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 getting this uh, uh, compilation off the ground with uh, Warren Parker, who uh, runs Warhen Records. For everybody else out there, this uh, Stop MVP. That's the yeah. artist from West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, against the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Um, yeah, yeah. It is an immense. It's a two CD compilation. Uh, with so many great artists from like a wide spectrum, which I think uh, my impression is that the this just the breadth of music 
musical styles and sounds on here really speaks to kind of the breadth of who really cares and it feels impacted by and stands opposed to this ridiculous project. Um, talk, can you talk to me about this? Oh yeah, of course. So it is, it it came out on Friday. Um, it's available on Bandcamp. Um, and it is also going to be, um, like you said, a two, um, CD the CDs are being manufactured right now and they'll be available in the weeks ahead, but because it's kind of a time sensitive, you know, project and, um, you know, we're trying to get it out as soon as possible. We just released it as a digital record first. Um, I mean, folks can pre-order the CDs now on the Bandcamp link. I will put the <laughs> links on the uh, show oh, notes for everybody. Well, and so all of the proceeds of this um, go to the Appalachian Legal Defense Fund, which is benefits the legal cost for the um, land defenders and the community members that are, you know, out there putting their bodies on the line. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, there was a grandpa um, from one of the communities that is affected by the pipeline, and his bail was set at $35,000. He is an elder from one of these communities who chained himself to a drill. Um, And uh, so his bail was $35,000. So they need all the help that they can get. And we are just happy to do the work. So like over the summer, Warren uh, from Charlottesville's uh, Warren and Wet Records called me. He was like, hey, I want to do something. Do you know any co- like environment? He's like, hey, I want to get involved, use some of the money that the labels generated for a good cause locally kind of thing. I said, oh, man, well, the Mountain Valley Pipeline is getting rammed through the, um, you know, this uh, – new infrastructure bill that is that Joe Manchin's pushing and Chuck Schumer's taking money from the pipeline people and they're pushing it through. Let's do it about this. So it started as like 10 people. And now overall, I'd say there's over 60 people involved. And we, um, I just got in touch with everybody that I could, people that I knew that would be, you know, um, interested in this, uh, people, artists that are from, that like literally lit have this, you know, pipeline coming through their neighborhood or, you know, in where they work or in some cases their art studios and stuff. And I mean, it just really snowballed. I mean, everybody wanted to, to help everybody produced really high quality work. And it's like you said, I mean, it is a, um, it's a patchwork of every type of music that is, being played in Virginia right now from we got a free jazz track we got some hip-hop we got um you know more like kind of local indie rock country like uh Tucker Riggleman and the Cheap Dates are kind of like a West Virginia Dinosaur Jr. sounding you know um, rock band like I love that stuff we got folklorist we got got (laughs) music you got um you've got uh banjo picking old time style you've got yeah uh, just and i'm gonna throw some names music. out for folks um oh uh, yeah please there's, there's this guy uh, daniel bachman is on it um <laughs> yeah, he's all right um modern folk trio band jordan perry he's been on the podcast you, people know who i'm talking about ned oldham nathan bulls sally ann morgan i know i've talked about her record yasmin williams um John Bachman, that is Daniel's father, has an amazing track yep. on this. Um, 
let's see uh oh uh the magic tuber string band uh you mentioned tucker riggleman dogwood tales is on here ravenbauer and james wolf are on here i i was so many good things. I can't name them all. I want to say one of the ones I was taken with was Skyline Boogie Boys, Skyline Boogie. That's a cool ass track. Just so much great music. And I mean, it really is. It is really long. And yeah, I did manage to listen to the whole thing on my, uh, my car ride. Today. <laughs> yeah, you can break it into two, you know, digestible chunks if, you know, if you need to. <laughs> it's one disc and disc two. But yeah, it's really fantastic. I mean, we got. Other people that I mean, my ultimate goal in the in the beginning of this was how like okay look there's there's artist activists doing the work and then there's you know other communities how can that you know feel similarly about it but might not live you know in a place where they feel like they can help or whatever you know can't do the 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 stream watches, you know, or attend some of the events and stuff because we live a hundred miles away from the sites that are impacted and stuff. So, I mean, it just felt like a really great way to get all of these people involved. And, um, we're, we're fundraising some serious money, so it feels good. And, um, yeah, I mean, we got I, Josh Vanna and, um, Bernadette Lark start the record and they are, um, uh, it's oh, a it's phenomenal a track. live track that um, they wrote that is just all about the Mountain Valley Pipeline. It's just really a uh, wonderful track. And then um, BJ, she ends the whole um, compilation with her um, her uh, piece, Keep, Keep Your Eyes on the Prize, which is a civil rights era um piece um that works just as well with the struggle against the mountain valley pipeline as it has in other um eras and so um and i mean finale oh man when we were getting some of these in it was just like you know you get some chills sent down your back um everybody really produced some really high quality work um Honestly, it's it's one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of, and I can say that that with confidence. And it was really glad that it's out there, and I hope that it helps the community. Really, well, it's need. it's great. Um, and when the roses come again is great. No, well, thanks for having me. For real, it's really great to talk about this. And please check out Stop MVP. Tell your friends. Donate to the Appalachian Legal Defense Fund and stop the Mountain Valley Pipeline, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you sitting down to talk with me, Daniel. This has been awesome. No, it's great. Thank you so much.
Summer's Fingers Sweetly Linger Everywhere on Every Side from Daniel Bachman's latest record, When the Roses Come Again. You can get that and several of his more recent albums via Three Lobed Recordings at threelobed.bandcamp.com. Daniel is a passionate guy about so many things. I'm really glad we got a chance to uh, record a chat for you all. I think there's plenty left on the table for a future chat, and I hope that comes around at some point. Of course, you heard us talk about the Benefit record Stop MVP, artists from West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina against the Mountain Valley Pipeline, which is available now at warhenrecords.bandcamp.com. I'm going to spin you a track from that. Not Daniel's track, which I'm sure you'll dig, but this one is a banjo piece from uh, Joseph DiCosimo. It's entitled Mulberry Gap. That was a delightful piece. I hope you enjoyed it. Please check out the compilation, Help Out a Worthy Cause. Now let's play some Dead. Today's selection is a mostly acoustic set from Austin in February of 1970. 
The sound isn't perfect, but the playing is lovely. Some good banter here. Great tunes. Generally a good vibe. There's a George Jones cover and a Yellow Dog story. What more could you want? Anyway, this is probably it for me in 2023, so I will wish you a splendid holiday of your choosing, wishing you good health, peace in your life, and the world around us all. Until next time, be well. You told me goodbye How was I to know You didn't mean goodbye You made
Let him, let's let him fix the PA for a minute. Hey, it won't do anything if you don't mess around with it. It was okay until you started messing with it. Yeah, you idiot. Shorts. Shorts. Flop. Flop. 
Somebody get that guy away from the microphone. Are those horns working again? Those little horns there? Sure sounds. If they are, you ought to turn them off. Don't matter to me. 
don't murder me. I beg of you, don't murder me. some acoustic uh, things here with uh, acoustic guitars and stuff like that. So, so uh, we're going to hang out and make you wait. It's going to be a little while while we rearrange all the furniture up here. Feel free to talk amongst yourselves. Bite, kick. And, uh, Bite, scratch. Now, while, while they're sitting all this stuff up, I'm going to take this opportunity to tell you all a story. And uh, it goes like this. You see, once upon a time, there was this guy, and he had this short, fat, squat, ugly little yellow dog, kind of an unusual specimen. And uh, anyway, he took it out walking one day. He was walking the dog around, and he went by a bar. He went into the bar for a drink because he was thirsty, of course. And sitting down the bar from him was this guy with a big, black, slick, mean-looking dog, all toothy and real bad-looking. And the guy with the big, black, slick, mean-looking dog shouts down, the, hollers down the bar to the guy with the short, fat, squat, ugly little yellow dog, says, Hey, that sure is an ugly little dog you got there, all short, fat, squat, ugly, and yeller. The guy with the short, fat, squat, ugly little yellow dog shouts down to the bar to the uh, guy with the big, black, mean-looking dog, says, Yeah, well, he may be ugly, but he sure can fight. And uh, the guy with the big black slick mean looking dog kind of checks this out for a minute and, and hollers down the bar to the guy with the short fat squat ugly little yellow dog says, yeah, well, you want to take him out back and I'll put a five on mine and you put a five on yours. And uh, we'll let him fight it out. And uh, whoever, whoever, whoever's dog win, well, well he, he goes home with the proceeds. And... Uh, so they, they both agreed upon that, took him out back behind the bar and let him fight it out. And the big, black, slick, mean-looking dog just whipped the shit out of this short, fat, squat, ugly little... No, 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 it was the other way around. The short, fat, squat, ugly little yeller dog. All right. Just, uh, shall we say, commensurated the... Uh, <laughs> or any, uh, anyway, uh, did in this big, black, slick, mean-looking dog. And after the fight was over, the guy said, yeah, well, you sure were right. Your short, fat, squatty little yellow dog just sure did well on my big, black, sick, mean-looking dog. And uh, here's your $5, and I only got one question. What kind of dog is that? I've never seen a dog like that before. All short, fat, squatty little yellow. And uh, the, guy, the guy with the short, fat, squatty little yellow dog said to the guy with the big, black, sick, mean-looking dog said, yeah, well, he used to be an alligator before I cut his tail off and painted him yellow. encourage him. Anyway, and it's called the monkey and the engineer, and it goes like this. 
was an engineer. Drove a locomotive both far and near. Accompanied by a monkey that would sit on a stool. Watching everything the engineer would move. One day the engineer wanted a bite to eat. He left the monkey sitting on the driver's seat. The monkey pulled the throttle, locomotive jumped the gun and did 90 miles an hour down the main line run. Big locomotive right on time. Big locomotive come down the line. Big locomotive number 99. Left the engineer with a worried mind. Call up the dispatcher on the phone and tell him all about his locomotive was gone. To get on the wire, switch operator to right. Cause the monkey's got the main line sewed up tight. Switch operator got the message in time. So there's a northbound limit on the same main line. Open up the switch and gonna let him through the hole. Cause the monkey's got the locomotive under control. Big locomotive, right on time. Big locomotive coming down the line. Big locomotive number 99. Left the engineer with a worried mind. Left the engineer with a worried mind. Left the engineer with a worried mind.
got to change this here string. Texas bound We stopped over In Santa Fe That being the point Just about halfway You know it was the hottest part of the day I took the horses Up to the stall Went to the bar room Ordered drinks for all Three days in the saddle you know my body hurt It being summer Well I took off my shirt Yeah I tried to wash off Some of that dusty dirt A whisper A West Texas cowboys A base all around With liquor and money They's loaded down so soon after payday, you know what seemed a shame. So you know my uncle, he starts friendly game. Hey, hello, Jack, and the winner take the hand. Hey, my uncle started winning. Cowboys got sore. One of them called him, and then two more. Accused him of cheating. Well, no, it couldn't be. I know my uncle, he's as honest as me hey, And I'm as honest as Denver man can be One of them cowboys, he starts to draw well, I shot him down low, he never saw Shot me a nightmare, well I damn he won't grow old In the confusion, my uncle grabbed the gold and we hot-tailed it down to Mexico I love those cowboys I love their gold Love my uncle God rest his soul He taught me good Lord He taught me all I know he taught me so well Well, I grabbed that gold And I left his dead ass There by the side of the road
some assistance here, Pigpen and Phil. Just one 
my friends they come around come around Sunshine, rain and snow Just the way that it was planned to be But there's been seasons in my heart While you play the leading part There the flies
Thanks. Hey, come on, you PA guys, get on the ball, man. Good grief, we're gonna call the union if you don't hurry up. Union, what union? What union? The rock and roll union, that's what. The galactic rock and roll union.
gonna be You're gonna give your love to me I wanna love you night and day You know I love will not fade away You know I love will not fade away